Good morning. Often when pastors come before a congregation like this, the first thing they will say is peace. And we're not talking about uh, peace from my generation where everyone was running around like this. The, um, the point being, the word peace has different meanings for different people. And this morning, I'd like for us to spend a few moments uh, thinking about that as we've already lit uh, a candle. Focus on peace. Um, Advent, of course, you know, was uh, is not a biblical term. There is no right and wrong as far as whether you use the pink candle or the purple candle or the green candle with yellow stripes or the whatever. But it was a, a holiday designed by Lutheran Germans who determined that there needed to be a way to focus people's hearts toward the meaning of Christmas. Christmas beyond just, oh boy, here's another Santa Claus opportunity, but truly focused on Jesus. And so uh, it's with that purpose that we come into this time of Advent trying to somewhat refocus our lives and our direction for who we are in a society that pretty well has us refocusing on materialism. Uh, Christmas time, you know, it's really a big thing, especially in the United States, right after Thanksgiving. Between Thanksgiving and Christmas, it's all based on when's the next Black Friday holiday, which, of course, that holiday is not really a holiday. It's a day to go out and spend money and get a bargain. And yet, the intent of Advent for this period of time is to try to say that we need to regain our focus, regain our purpose, somewhat reboot for the future. I wish that the word peace was a simple word and that it meant the exact same thing in everybody's heart so that I could really, you know, shoot an arrow and be certain that I'm hitting the target today. But the word peace is not quite that clear for most of us. And even when in my generation we were all going around, give peace a chance. It was all related to things with Vietnam and Cambodia and things in Southeast Asia. And, and yet even to this day, the word peace is a little blurry. December the 2nd, Wednesday of this week, two attackers had guns and bombs and they went in and killed 14 people in an office. In California. On Thursday, I received an email talking about road rage in China. We laugh at that, except at the fact that there were 17 million cases over the last year, within the last year. 17 million cases of road rage in China that resulted in over 80,000 major crashes with a number of people killed. On Thursday of this week, I was reading about India and the flooding that has occurred where 270 people have died in flooding there. November the 27th, a gunman stormed into the Planned Parenthood organization in Colorado Springs killing people and wounding people. The crisis with the Syrian refugees 
Over 3,200 Syrians have died this year. And over 4 million are still looking for a place to settle. Is this peace? August 15th in Tianjin, we heard of the explosion where there were hundreds that were killed and many others wounded, where an explosion of a factory was beyond control. ISIS has made headlines for all the wrong reasons in destroying ancient cities, monuments, documents, beheading of people, terror attacks, Paris bombing, murders. November the 13th, a series of coordinated attacks in Paris that we've all heard about with, uh, again, over 100 people being killed. Even going out to watch a presentation in the most safe of, of locations, you would assume. There were many who were murdered with bullets that were as they sat. Beyond this, of course, we know of issues of drugs and violence, alcoholism, spousal abuse, racism, sexual abuse, poverty, politics, starvation. For myself, I think about earthquakes. I can't help but think about it because we had over 2,500 people killed in a 1999 earthquake when I was living in Taiwan and we were involved in that work. Then a few years later, 2008, another earthquake in Sichuan province where we had 68,000 people killed in that location. And then the tsunami coming out of Japan with over 18,000 people killed. So where is the peace is the question today. We've lit a nice little candle for peace. It's been my commitment with my own life to try to push myself outside of my comfort zones as often as possible. I grew up with a church background where I learned the right vocabulary, meaning I use the King James Version of the Bible. And we all know that when we go to heaven, we're going to use the King James Version. But I began to stretch myself to realize if we're going to be practical, we've got to be able to reach and talk to those that are not churched, who've lived in a different environment. So when we use the word peace, maybe we need to realize that not everybody has the same agenda bouncing around in their head as we do. And yet we do need to understand what is true spiritual peace. For that is the only peace that's going to ever last. You know, when I went to university, as you're well aware, it was back in the old days when people used to ride on horses to, and then they were all in a covered whack. No, that wasn't quite that bad. But back in the 60s and 70s, when I went to high school and university, Vietnam was very real. For me, I was number 45 in the draft. I was very clear. As soon as I graduated from college, away I was going. Vietnam, here I come. And there were songs, a lot of music, about the Vietnam War. Some of them saying, I can still remember one song saying, Come on, mothers across the land, pack your boys off to Vietnam. Don't hesitate. Don't be late. We had an idea of what war was going to be like. We weren't thinking that we were going there to try to form peace. We were going out of a loyalty and a requirement of our government. Peace. Hard to define. I remember going to Beijing 
and meeting a man with a broken leg who walked with a tremendous limp that he had received when he was in prison for his faith. While he was in prison, he was beaten and his leg was broken and there was no one to repair it. So after he released, after he was released from prison, he continued to carry that with him for the rest of his life. And we went to another city in Zhengzhou um, where I met a number of his cohorts and we began to do some strategizing and planning. And I can remember how tired I got one night because we had been going that afternoon from 4.30 till about 9.30 and I'd been speaking to different groups. And at 9.30, I thought it was all over, only to learn that the leadership of this particular house church network wanted to pull me aside to do some strategizing. Well, we strategized until about midnight, and I was exhausted. And then I thought about him, and I realized that he was in probably much worse shape than I was. And yet he would not let us stop. We had to keep going because... He knew that the goal was to reach China for Christ. And he said, more important than my comfort, my convenience, and my availability, I've got to focus on this. So we kept going for a while. The reason we met, I would have to say that evening, as I walked away, I remember looking up in the sky, because we were meeting in an old farmhouse, which is normal in China. Met in many of those farmhouses. This one had, no, the roof was pretty well gone, but it was a place that they could sleep while they were there. And these were leadership of, of, a, of a group that was very significant, about six million people within their circle. But as I was walking and I was going back to the, a different place where I was going to be spending the evening, I can remember looking at the sky was blue and the stars were there and it was so clean and so nice. And I kept thinking, wow, it's so peaceful here. And yet the truth of the matter was, it was the peace of Christ in the hearts of those men that made them push on out of a motivation that Jesus would be shared with all. And they pushed on and on and on all the time. Pushing themselves. And indeed, the six men that I was working with all were on the list to be thrown back in prison if they were ever caught again. Which, of course, since then, several have been caught. The peace of Christ. Isaiah 2, verses 1 to 5, we've just read. It talks about what Isaiah has prophesied and what he has seen. And so, as we, we think about this... I keep reflecting on Isaiah's ability to communicate so eloquently. He referred to the streams and the mountains in his description of God and of peace and where it would come from. Recently, my son and I drove up from Texas and drove through Yellowstone National Park. First time for me. I'd always heard of it, but I'd never been there. Beautiful place. Loved looking at the mountains. And yet, I have no skills to communicate in any way similar to the way that Isaiah can as he describes this situation. He envisioned a future place of worship that was far beyond the glory of what I saw when I was in Colorado. 
Isaiah, as we think about what were some of the things that he prophesied in chapter 2, verses 1 to 5, one is that he noticed that there were the last days that were to come. And he spoke of the last days, and he spoke of Mount Zion. Now, the last days, we know if you want to go camping on that topic, you can go back to the book of Revelation and find quite a bit. But what did Isaiah see? Isaiah speaks of the last days. It refers to an error of time in the Bible that teaches that Christ's resurrection will impact the world in which we live. It is part of the church age. It's the last time, it's the time period when the church becomes significant in the lives of men. And we've watched the church age grow and be significant for years and years and years. And the church, even as we gather together as His family, we are the church, even this day. The book of Acts in the beginning is pretty much the beginning of the church age. Because if you look at the book of Acts chapter 2, we can remember when, when Peter got up and he preached his sermon. And basically they began to form the church. And the church began to have identity as, as people gathered together in service to, to God. We can see that the Holy Spirit came into the lives of the people. And that suddenly there was a newness in their energy to serve God. Peter preached his sermon at Pentecost. You know, we, we see in chapter 2, verses 17 through 47, where Peter gets up and he really just lays it out as far as what the church should be, what people's relationship with God should be. If you want to know what what we should be doing. That's a good place to look. Chapter 2, though, was designed for the Jewish people because the Jewish people were good at being religious already. They, were all, they had that together. They knew how to be religious. They knew who God was. But Peter got up and he said, okay, let's go back and review. And so he reviewed with them their history to try to remind them to rekindle that relationship, to stir up the coals in the fire. You know, in a sense, when we gather together as Christians, we have to keep stirring up the coals. We have to be sure we're still alive and still working. And so Peter goes after it and he lets them have it very strongly by reminding them that the peace of God is an offering, but it all is dependent on us being in proper relationship with God. Let us look back, though, at Isaiah and Zion, where, where it says that the Lord's temple will be established in chapter 2, verse 2 of Isaiah. You know, I don't know if you've been to many mountains and gone hiking a lot, but if you go to a lot of mountains, it's amazing the most strange, unique places on the tops of mountains. Often you'll find a little place that someone has, has organized or built for as a place of worship a place of refuge, a place of reminding. In China, if you go to the top of probably my favorite mountain would be Yellow Mountain, if you know what that is. Wongsan is a, a mountain uh, just beyond, beyond anything that uh, I've ever heard of as far as its beauty. It's a great mountain, but at the tops of these, these top of these huge mountain tips, you get to the peak of the thing, suddenly you'll find this little place 
that's set aside for people to sit and to look out over the land and to consider why I'm here. Now, we live in a society that's fast, 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 hurry, hurry, hurry. That is anything but that. That is a place of peace. It's a place of quietness. It's a place of slowing down. Most of our society doesn't encourage us to slow down. You know, one of the complaints that I, that I hear every now and then is somebody, and it's amazing because I watch it happen as well. You get into a meeting and you're talking with people and, you know, somebody is really pouring out what they think is important. And maybe it's like our ECLT or something going like that. And they're flying along as fast as they can. And then suddenly they look around and three of the people in the room are going. You know, their body is there, but their mind is elsewhere. Let us say it that way. You know, trying to get people to slow down and focus on God these days is not easy. It's a great challenge for us. When we look at Zion and we think about the temple, the idea of being able to set aside and worship, really it's a miracle we come together to worship like this because it's the same experience. But for the Jewish people, the mountain represented a a closer place to provide them access to God. Now, usually we think about Sinai, Mount Sinai, as the Holy of Holies, because indeed people thought of Sinai as the place where God dwelled. Because if you remember back when Moses went to get his laws that he was going to be providing us, the Ten Commandments, he went to Mount Sinai. So you kind of assume that that place would be the Holy of Holies, the, the, the best place to go for anything. And yet there are those who have determined, Scripture apparently is saying, Sinai was the place where we would find the teachings of God. And it was so holy, man could not touch it. Man is not to go there and be loose about that particular relationship. So there was a cho- choice of Zion as being a place of peace and openness and availability to God. And so it, it's a, it says in the scripture in, in uh, chapter 2 of Isaiah, it says all the nations will stream to Zion. This is a description of focusing on God as the stream flows in one direction. Personal prejudices, political ideology, denominational identity, racial background, all those things will not divide us. When that day comes in the last days that we go to this particular mountain, the mountain is seen as a unifying place of worship for God. Certainly, VCBC needs unity. We've got to work together to build a good future for reaching out in the name of Christ. We have an opportunity and an an ability to be used in some amazing ways as we are dependent and find our peace in Christ. Isaiah, chapter 2, also goes on with another part of his prophecy. And he says that this is an international family that's going to Zion, but they're going there for a purpose. Now, I don't know. I... I'm still trying to understand different generations and how our thinking works. For me, I don't really have any desire to do anything if I don't have some idea that there's a purpose out there for what I'm doing. The idea of just saying, I'm going to walk along and we'll see how it happens, see how it falls together. 
Um, I don't mind doing that, but the point is, at some point out there, I'm going to say, now, let's make this have some value. I cannot stand the idea that it would not have any purpose or any value. Well, when we look in the Scripture, it also culturally tells us that the idea of going in the last days to the mountain has a reason. It's not just by happenstance. Zion was not a huge mountain. And almost, uh, some people would only call it a hill. But it was still the place that they, were, that they chose to go. You know, it's interesting too, though, in the Scripture, it says, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of God of Jacob. He will teach us His way so that we may walk in His paths. Chapter 2, verse 3. So the point there in chapter 2, verse 3 is, yes, we need to gather there. We need to be an international group gathered because they're coming from all different nations, streaming, flowing into this place to gather together to worship God. But it says, so that we may walk in His path. He's going to teach us, and we're going to be learners. Apparently, the Chinese saying that says, live to your old, learn to your old, is a real good saying. Because it says, don't stop learning. Keep growing. Keep expanding yourself. Keep, keep being something that God can use. He teaches us. The Scripture is our VCBC standard. Not what I want. We don't start with where I am and say, gee, I hope I can make the Bible support what I'm already doing. If we're doing that, we're doing something wrong. When we use and abuse the Scripture to justify how I'm already living, the Scripture is not being properly respected. Our standard of ECBC must be what God tells us to do is what we do. The church, VCBC, is not perfect. The English congregation is not perfect. The Mandarin ministry is not perfect. The Cantonese congregation are not perfect. None of us have all the answers. We are flawed. But we must listen to God's Word. We must expect things of God. If we will study, if we will allow Him to teach us, we will walk in His hand. We will walk in His leadership, in His guidance. Scripture says in chapter 2, verse 3, He expects us to walk differently after we've been taught. Studying alone is not enough. You know, it's amazing how many people I've met that love to study the Word of God, but I don't see much difference in their lives. You know, when it talks about... You know, it's amazing how many people I've heard say... Well, I'm a fairly mature Christian. You know, as soon as I hear someone say I'm a fairly mature Christian, my first thought is, wow, so you just let me know you're probably not that mature of a Christian. Because the truth of the matter is, I don't know very many truly mature Christians. We're all growing. We're learning. We're on the pathway. We haven't arrived. If you think you've arrived, I think we need to have a... A little conversation. Again, we're here. We're going to be taught and we've got to learn. We must learn to pray for each other. 
bless each other with an expectation that God is watching with expectation of our behavioral change. And if that doesn't happen, we have to ask ourselves why. According again, chapter 2, verse 3, the law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord, from Jerusalem. You know, again, if we go back to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where we're talking about Peter getting up in the Holy Spirit coming on the church. Again, the founding of the church is what this is talking about. The church age in the last days. The church age will become so important. And Acts chapter 1, verse 8 explains where it got started, where the church began to really grow. And it says that the power of the Holy Spirit would come upon them. And that they would be witnessed in Jerusalem, Samaria, and Judea, and the rest of the world. Are we witnesses? Are we allowing the church to live within us? Or are we seeking opportunities just to rest and relax? Peace does not mean rest and relaxation. For some people, their, their idea of peace would be a place where everything is uh, simple and easy. Of course, we're witnesses, but what kind? We're all witnesses. Do we feel thrilled to invite people or the lost into our church because we expect for them to meet Christ here? Do we walk with a joyous attitude or a peaceful walk as we move toward Christmas this year? You see, this time period in here, during this month, is a time where hope and peace and love and joy are to take a hold of us, and we're wanting to share that with the world. And yet, even as I listen to the radio, and I don't know how you are with it, but I know my wife and I got into this conversation about some of the Christmas songs that we were hearing on the radio. And I had to tell her that I had grown up in the Western society, and yes, I like those Christmas songs, summer Christmas carols, summer Christmas songs. Some are Christmas songs in the sense that they, they talk about all kinds of things related to Christmas, but don't dare to mention Jesus. Some are Christmas carols that the whole song is founded around Christ and who He is. You know, this month is a time for us, indeed, to have a different spirit and a different attitude in who we are. But what attitude we have really should not necessarily reflect everything else that's going on around us. Because the, the society and the environment is trying to get us softened up based on emotions tied to something very different than Jesus. So how do we get back to the real purpose of Christmas? Certainly remembering hope and joy and love and peace. Very, very important in this process. Do we walk with a joyous and peaceful walk as we move toward Christmas? If the answer is yes, praise God. But if the answer is no, we need to pray more. You need to find other brothers and sisters and pray more. Because it's our responsibility and our joy to be testimonies in front of the society in which we live. Zion is our challenge, and I believe we all want to be ready to take on the hike to get to the top of that mountain. You know, you don't get to a mountain 
Usually. I better back off. I'm sure if I ask Yvonne, she'll talk to me about the ski lifts that take you to the tops of the mountains. But we're all aware that not everybody, not every mountain has a ski lift. And I dare say Zion, in the scriptural perspective, was not talking about going up the easy way. To get to a mountain, you have to put in effort. To go up that mountain, you have to put out effort. For us to grow and walk with Christ, there is no ski lift. We would love to be able to take the magic pill that would make me a mature Christian, but there is not one to be found. Our challenge is, are we ready to make the hike? Are we willing to make the hike, to go to the top of the mountain to be where God wants us to be? God is saying, I have a future for you that's exciting and it's going to be wonderful. The last days is not something to be feared for the follower of God. It's a time of joy. It's a time of peace. Isaiah, in his prophecy, went on in the Scripture. It says in verse 4, He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes of many people. They will beat their sores into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. You know, when I first came to Canada, all the way up to this day, I suppose, I've been hearing the term reconciliation. In my background, I probably heard the term reconciliation not very often, I'll say it that way. I came to Canada and suddenly this word was jumping out at me from everywhere. Reconciliation. Recon then I had to go back and start trying to find out, what is your definition of reconciliation? Are you people, what's, what's the problem? What's going on? Then I started hearing about residential schools. Never heard, don't know anything about that background either. We don't have these, my background in America and, and Asia, I didn't camp out on those things. But suddenly I was hearing people with all kinds of issues, very deep issues, very serious issues, very real issues. And the word reconciliation, to reconcile. For me, reconciliation had always been a, if you will, religious term. For me, reconciliation had to do with me as a human being and God. And I wanted to develop that connection. And I wanted to pull back that connection by confessing that I know that I am a sinner and I fall short of the glory of God and that I must come to you, Father, and ask your forgiveness in order that I can walk with you. And you have promised me that if I will confess my sin, you are just to receive me. So for me, it was a spiritual matter. And suddenly I was hearing all these non-Christians using my word, the magic word, reconciliation. And they were applying it to something totally different. Sometimes we use words differently. When I look in the Scripture, I have to look at Jonah because Jonah was a prophet that was functioning around the same time as Isaiah. And Jonah had a message that got him in a lot of trouble, or he thought it was going to get him in trouble. 
His message was very much one that he was to go to a place, the middle of the Syrian area. You know, Nineveh is located right in the middle of Syria. So we talk about these Syrian refugees problems. We got to realize it's not divided and it's not just history of 2,500, 3,000 years ago. We're talking about today. The Syrian situation, Jonah didn't care for the Syrian people there in, in Nineveh. They had had conflict. They had abused and used the Jewish people. And he didn't want to see them be in God's hands. He didn't have a burden for them or a care for them. And so he was really worried that if he did his job and did it well, responsibly telling them about God, that they might repent, they might reconcile, there might be reconciliation with God. And if that happened, how would he go home? Look at Isaiah. Isaiah's situation, really not that far off from Jonah. Because Isaiah's message also was a message that God cared about people. And even Isaiah knew that what he had to share was going to have a result that the Jewish people would not be necessarily that appreciative of what he had to say. So Isaiah was sharing a very dangerous message. Isaiah was there telling them that indeed... Peace is something that's available even to our enemies, the ones who worship other gods, the idol worshipers, the ones who have treated us horribly in history, also can receive peace. And yet we live in a world, you and I today, with a a challenge not unlike that. We are looking over there where there's war going on and battling going on and people being becoming refugees. Because of the war, the world asks us to make peace, to show our tolerance and non-judgmental attitudes. But what it really wants very often is for us to compromise our faith. We have to find out how can we do both? How can we have dependable faith, consistent faith, uncompromised faith, while also having a willingness to help others. The Scripture goes on, and in Isaiah's day, we could see that, that uh, the Assyrian people sought to dominate the world. How do you make peace with people who want to dominate you and dominate the world? How do you make peace with those that are unlovely? How can Isaiah's peace become a reality? Reconciliation requires participation from all sides. To reconcile means both sides have to make a certain level of compromise or adjustment. The Scripture says in Matthew 10, verse 16, we must be wise as serpents, harmless as doves. Brothers and sisters, what that tells us is We do have to stay up with our scriptural understanding. We have to grow as Christians. If we don't, our thinking, our values, and our morals will be dependent on the values of the world, not on the values of God. 
don't get in such a hurry to say, oh, I'm just tired of studying now. I, you know, I'm, I'm okay. I'm doing all right. Probably you're not doing all right, nor am I. To really integrate the values and morals of God in our heart, not as easy as you think. Paul warned us, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. What is there in an agreement toward a temple that's on the top of a mountain with those who follow idols? As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them. And I will be their God, and they will be my people. Be ye separate, says the Lord, and touch not unclean things. I will receive you. This is 2 Corinthians 6, verses 14 to 17. Idol worshipers and Christians do have differences in values. There's a certain point there where our desire to say, I love all people, doesn't mean I love all people and I don't care what they believe. We do love all people, but we do care that they get to know Christ as Savior. If God's people are to move toward peace, what was Isaiah meaning in that word? Possibly the New Testament has something to remind us of that. Peace I leave you, and peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. We read that scripture from John 14. And in Ephesians 2, 13 and 14, it went on to say, In Christ you were once far away, but through the blood of Jesus that changes. For He Himself is our peace. So, are we talking about pie in the sky, so to speak, when we talk about the peace of God? Is it just something theoretical and out there way out in the future? Or is it something that's real? World peace is not easily accomplished, but it is promised to us. The timing of when that peace will come is not for us to know. But certainly, peace in our hearts can begin even this day. It is our spiritual healing of our soul that is so important. We think of war, discomforts, and struggles as the enemy of peace, when in Christ, peace already is available to all. We must pray and learn that at the temple, we have to put in effort to walk, to get to that temple at the top of that mountain, but that it's worth it because there we will find the peace of the Lord. So as we think today, what is peace? <clears throat> My prayer would be that we would allow the peace that we have in walking with Christ to give us comfort today, but also give us challenge. Never allow our peace to be a reason for passivity. We should be hungry to share that peace with others, even as we look to the future and the day of the Lord as, as it will come to us. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you this day that your scripture talks to us about peace. We thank you that we can come to you and give you praise at this time of year as we move toward the process, as we are preparing for the day of celebration through Christmas as we recognize the birth of Jesus. Father, we would ask that we would all have hope and that we would have peace 
and love and joy as we move forward. But Father, help us to understand you've given us these things, not for us to become selfish, but for us to share with others. We thank you so much for allowing us to be your family. In Jesus' name, amen.